0: Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. Hello, everyone. I'm Giles. I'm Emily. And I'm Michelle. And we're the Beyond the Trope podcast. Every week, we delve into topics like pop culture, fiction writing, and other nerdy things. We feature laid-back conversations, bad puns, and in-depth interviews with authors, comic creators, and more. Find our show at beyondthetrope.com. Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to the Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com where there'll be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dave Callahan, creator of Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And this is Peter Atencio, the director of Jean-Claude Van Johnson, and you're listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Life Podcast,
1: unofficially the official podcast of Denver Comic Con twenty eighteen and beyond. I am your host today, Brad, and with me is Zach. And um we apologize for this episode because uh the movie of the week is the Isle of Dogs and it deserves better. <laughs> um But uh scheduling, but it said you get us <laughs> Scheduling is becoming a uh increasingly difficult thing to do for us, and um we know we two already talked about this a few weeks ago. Yeah, but um, an episode has to go out, and here we are. Yeah,
2: and yeah, hey, who knows? We can maybe go maybe a wee bit more in detail, but uh, pretty much already what we talked about. So,
1: but we're also going to go for a very short show uh, than usual because I have to be somewhere, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, I have to be
2: nowhere. So no,
1: uh, we're going to forego the. Uh, oh, actually, um, in the interim, uh, and a reason why last week's episode only posted just now. Is because we were at a Marvel quiz on Saturday. Yeah. And um inc- it included Brian and some other of our friends and we got seventh place out of twenty six teams.
2: Twenty seven, I think. Twenty
1: seven teams. So yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Uh some stumpers, some obvious like we should have known that.
2: I don't know. Up. I still don't know why I put, put pointed to someone in that picture and said Rocket uh, Rocketeer, but you know, that was it was on the It, it made sense on, to you. On the <laughs> it did, you know. I said Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, they're all the same damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's fine. We'll, we'll
1: there'll be more quizzes and we'll get it. Yeah. Um, I also went to Starfest over the weekend, which is another reason why it took so long to edit the episodes. Um, and that was fun. I got to try out some cosplay and uh, um, I, I rented a room there for once, so it was really convenient. So, you know, if you hate walking around cons with all your all your gear, um, consider renting a hotel because it's it's. I don't think I can ever go back. I'm I'm actually considering renting a room for Denver Comic Con. Yeah. Cause, uh, it might be worth it at this point. I know th- there's actually way more traffic getting to Denver Comic Con for us than the tech center. So yeah, I'm I'm strongly considering it. And uh, the room I got had two beds, so it was like way overkill. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so you could rent the other one out for for what you need to do. You yeah, know? charge one you guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, or you can throw something like bachelor party in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I doubt
1: that'll uh, happen. Um, so. <laughs> In, int- in the interest of getting through this episode quickly, we're going to forego the draft house uh, news this week because we all know it's an Infinity War this week. Yeah. That's all we're all going to see. Um, it's playing <laughs> there, and you should see it there if you can. Yeah. Um, so that'll bring us to uh, what's going on around town. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. Not a lot. Um, the drive-in is uh, gearing up for Infinity War themselves, so they're going to do Super Troopers 2 followed by Infinity War and then Black Panther is coming back. Ooh, nice. So definitely going to try and check that out because...
2: Sweet. That would be uh, awesome. feel like it should do Black Panther then Infinity War, but I understand. Get the main one out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I the the daylight is later in the day now, so they uh, obviously don't want to start the, the main event too late in the evening. Right. Um, and they're open all week now. They're not just the weekend. So, um, you know, if, if you can't find you get a spot in the Friday or Saturday shows, um, the weekdays are usually less congested. And, you know, you can catch those shows at your leisure. Um, and then the Midnight at the Esquire this week is The Room on Friday, April 27th, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show on Saturday. Um, so that's what they do every month and then uh the following week may 4th and 5th is the belladonna of sadness so if you want to <laughs> watch women get abused horribly for i think it out and it felt like two hours maybe two and a half um you can check that out it's the 45th anniversary i guess
2: the trailer was psychedelic though bro <laughs>
1: it, the artwork's beautiful it's just it's a tough subject matter to get through right um and that's what's going on around town awesome so why don't we have me stop talking and have you talk about the news <laughs>
2: it's real news lots of stuff happening in the news um uh we had two people die on us uh or actually three die on us um uh since the last episode uh first up arlie Ermy died um literally an hour after we stopped recording um uh, but if you didn't know him he played the uh Drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket. He played Sheriff Hoyt in the remakes of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Beginning. Um, and he also was Sarge in the Toy Story movies. So uh, a long career, very long career. Um, Harry Anderson died from Night Court. Um, which uh, I wasn't. I, I've never seen Night Court, but uh, a lot of people. It's fun. It's uh, an '80s relic. Yeah, but uh, shout out to him. You know, long life. And then the one that uh, was the strangest, and the one I was not expecting I say at all. A long
1: life. He was Life. He was 46.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. But but um. Well, no, 49. Still. 49. <laughs> but anyway, but the one that I did not expect was uh, Vern Troyer. Um, passed away. Um, Vern Troyer, if you didn't know, played Minnie Me in the Austin Powers films. Um film I always remembered him for outside of Austin Powers was he was the uh Christopher Plummer's assistant in the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus which I get it not everybody's a big fan of Terry Gilliam or Doctor Parnassus for that matter but if you watch the film among the strong performances in it besides Heath Ledger or Christopher Plummer or even Tom Waits Vern Troyer stands out in his own way um and it was one of those roles that I just thought was like perfect for him and um when you watch him in the final frame of the film, it's fantastic. So forty nine will be missed. Um Oh no, I was talking about Harry Anderson earlier. Harry Anderson died at forty six? Yeah. Oh wow.
1: That's why I was like white not a long life. But yeah, for for Vern Troyer. Yeah.
2: I thought uh, you were sh- referring to Vern Troyer. No, no, no. Yeah, short
1: people typically don't have long lifespans, but he made it to forty nine, which is great.
2: Right. And and apparently it was from depression about, mm-hmm. about anything else. Like oh. and he was dealing with substance abuse at the time too, so you know Okay. So, but uh, but anyway um uh definitely an indelible part of pop culture um he has the probably the only funny part of the love guru which is an outtake at the very end of the movie <laughs> um so sorry to anybody who likes the love guru um uh so anyway um in regular news though uh james cameron shooting out his mouth um like talking out his ass again um, he says he's tired and of Avengers movies and hopes that everybody else is getting tired of them. And he also says that the Avatar sequels are going to be compared to the Godfather series, which is just straight up a man with so much ego that he doesn't know how to juggle it. Wow. Um, that is, yeah. That just... The I that is a brag right there. Yeah, like I, I'm sorry, like I don't remember the first Avatar being as powerful. Like say, I know Ryan doesn't like The Godfather as much as other people do, but he can at least admit The Godfather is better than Avatar. So, what am I going to get The Godfather Part Two with Avatar Two? I don't think so.
1: What world does James Cameron live in where he's hearing people like talk about Avatar a ton? I think towards, it's like part of the pop pop culture zeitgeist anymore i
2: think it's the same one that george lucas lives in where it's just one guy telling him that all no no you're still relevant you're still popular um and that's why george lucas said like yeah yeah that's cool charger let's throw him in there and that sounds like a fun idea um so yeah good luck cameron i hope you uh figure out how you're gonna tell those blue cat stories further i guess um it, too, is getting a new cinematographer from the first one, so the look might change, um, or maybe they'll try to keep it consistent. I don't know. But on top of that, they're also trying to get Bill Hader and James McAvoy on the cast, which uh, for, uh, for one, I think James McAvoy for Bill, which would make a really good casting choice, in my opinion. If Shouldn't gonna... Bill Hader be Bill? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Um, and uh, for all you triple XXX uh, Return of Xander Cage fans out there, so just James... Um we're going to be getting another Triple X movie that's going to start shooting in the winter. So you'll get the the follow-up to that glorious Ice Cube cameo that we got at the end of the third one. I'm sure Ryan can't wait. Yeah, I'm sure he can't wait to ignore it. Um uh I guess the Deathstroke movie um whatever Joe Manganiello was putting into that uh role is now going into a Deathstroke solo movie with Gareth Edwards and not going into the Batman so I don't know what's going on at DC, but uh they're doing things. You know, they're trying to they're trying to get it get that chip going. Um and uh uh Netflix is considering buying some movie theaters. Um they, but they haven't said anything official. They've just said it's something we're putting on the table, amongst other things we want to do. So um it'd be nice, it'd be a cool middle finger to a governing board of academy that doesn't know how to stay hip, so so, yeah you know, I love the can I mean, I love the academy, but let's face it, they're being snobs um family can afford it they can yeah exactly um, and then the final thing, which was the coolest thing of the week, was we got a little peek at the new Halloween movie uh, with in the form of a poster and the look of the new mask, um which it looks the same to me no, but, it doesn't <laughs> it you're just your eyes don't adjust well because you also hated the first one, so you know. That's a reason that you don't see the difference. Well, um,
1: they're not going to win casual fans if, y- if I can't tell the difference. You know what?
2: They're not after you, jackass. <laughs> uh, their accounts beg to differ. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, I mean, like, they, they've aged it without – you saw the Rob Zombie one. Yeah. So it's they, – they went with the same idea in terms of aging it as years go on, but they instead kind of put it into the deeper detail and less on aging the mask itself. But, like – Trying to morph it into a new image, per se. Um, so, but I mean, honestly, if you look at it, it kind of just looks like elderly William Shatner, which is what the mask is, anyways, just a William Shatner mask. So, um, but I think it looks cool. I think it looks solid, sinister. Um, if the movie's just called Halloween, I think it'll be fine for a generation that's never seen the original or people like Brad who just hate cool things. Um so, you know, might get them enticed, might they get them to go see this new one, uh Jamie Lee Curtis returning. They
1: should they should subtitle it re, uh, Halloween Halloween <laughs> Retirement.
2: Retirement
1: <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> I'm
2: trying to think. Lori, <laughs> what, ta- what are you saying what about Lori? What would the ta- oh, um uh, Lori Strode, uh played by Jamie Lee Curtis will be returning along with her daughter and her granddaughter. And uh, it was confirmed this week also that John Carpenter, yes, is indeed doing the score to the film, as well as his executive producer role. So, uh, yeah, cool. We get some new John Carpenter music, which would be sweet. Because I don't think he's just going to do the theme um, and all the obvious cues. I think he's going to do something new and different. Because that's been his late motif lately, when he goes out on the road and does music. Um,
1: And then the fans will pick it apart.
2: Yeah. And then... Like side note on everything, Jeremy, Jamie Lee Curtis said she saw a a rough cut trailer for it, and she said it's uh, as she says, full tilt boogeyman. man. So uh, let's hope it's not just hype. Let's hope it's like an actually scary movie, because um, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for Michael to scare the shit out of some millennials. Um, so and that is news. <laughs> Nothing scares millennials. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, except if they look in a mirror and see themselves, then they have to face themselves. But they face love selfies. Face the reality of themselves. No, they can't filter it. Not in the mirror.
1: Um. So that brings us to DVDs. Yeah, and Blu-rays.
2: DVD releases and
0: Blu-rays.
1: This week, uh, Hostels, which we re- re- we reviewed on the show a couple weeks ago, that is out on Blu-ray and 4K. Batman on a horse. Batman on a horse. <laughs> um, and the Maze Runner: Death Cure.
2: Wait a minute! I really wish it had been called Batman on a horse. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think he's on a horse in uh, Gotham by Gaslight. We've got
2: to go save this Indian tribe.
1: Native American, God, it's so racist. <laughs> Native American, sorry. Batman does better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Maze Runner Death Cure. The end of that series is on 4K. And if you're a Best and Buy, DVD, and if you're a Best Blu-ray. Buy guy,
2: you apparently can get all of them in cool new steel books. That's
1: right. Uh, a few good men and Greece also get 4K releases. Uh, sure. Greece has a collection, which I guess there's three movies in a steel book. And, and then there's three Grease
2: movie? No, there's two. And then there's the live sing-along, or the live one
1: that they did. Maybe they're packaging the live one in there because there's three like little stickers of, you know, the different characters from each movie. So Okay. Right on. Uh and then there's like a yearbook version of that same thing. I'm okay. guessing it's like leather bound, so probably the target edition. That'd be sweet. Um some dumb bear movie sequel. Uh <laughs> Sorry Henry. Boom. Paddington 2 <laughs> is coming out, but it's just a regular Blu-ray, DVD digital release. Like there's no, you know, cool leather-bound grease edition of it or steelbook. It's just <laughs>
2: Paddington 2 the leather-bound grease edition. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's just eating a marmalade sandwich shaped as a 2. Um, and Can I looking do a quick blissfully into the corner? I'll
2: do a quick imitation of Henry. But that's all you need.
1: That's it's exactly. It's simplistic, Brad. <laughs> uh Criterion's got the Virgin Suicides and Dead Man from Jim Jarmusch. Uh, I do like that. side is not from Jim Armouche. That's Sophia Coppola. <laughs> um, Den of Thieves comes out. Uh, The Maze Runner gets a trilogy, but nothing fancy other than a, d- a dude running across three backdrops on it. Uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I'm guessing that's from Arrow. That's Arrow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, supposedly Cyborg, finally from Shaw Factory, but I'm, I'm not sure. Did you pre order it? I did not. Um, I thought Ryan said it was going to be June, so that might be a uh an error. Uh mermaids. Uh the one you saw? No, no, it's Share. Share one and Bob Hoskins? Yeah, Bob Hoskins. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Winona Ryder.
2: Never mind. <laughs> uh
1: Deadpool's getting a 2-year anniversary edition. <laughs> and uh Best Buy has a new steelbook for that too. Uh but it's not 4K, so Which is weird because they, over the Christmas, they covertly released a 4K edition, which I failed to pick up. So, but, you know, the sequel's coming out, and I'm sure when that DVD comes out, they'll have a a 4K two-pack. They'll have
2: a twofer, if you will.
1: Uh, Dr. Detroit with Dan Aykroyd from Shout Factory is coming out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Scream Factory has a Troll 1 and 2 double feature.
2: That's, um, the, the only difference between that and the one they had before is that the documentary Best Worst feature is no longer a part of the set. Ah, so it's a reissue without that featurette.
1: Uh, Puppet Master has some kind of special set. Uh, looks like there's like a little blade action figure and maybe a book with the DVD. Can't tell. I
2: hope it's just. A, I hope it's a knife. <laughs> you open the box. Ow!
1: Murder your friends. Fucking Charlie Band. Uh, and that should be... Uh, there's a lot of like
2: little things out but that that's the big stuff for this week and if you're at Best Buy to celebrate your Avengers fandom you can get new steelbooks of Civil War Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron yep. not um, 4K
1: editions unfortunately
2: yeah but I might still go ahead and do it for one of them maybe Civil War Yeah, I need a first Avengers steelbook but um, I'm not gonna
1: the art style is so distinct on those releases that it would be weird not
2: to have the other two so yeah uh, Matt Ferguson I think is the artist?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, I bet I, I bet you anything though. When Infinity War comes out on Blu-ray, they're gonna do something special-ish. I don't know.
1: Hopefully, they'll probably do another uh like Phase Two collection. Yeah, thing. It's a,
2: it's a, that's irrelevant when I can't get Phase One anymore. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, maybe they'll do a one and two superset and
2: maybe they'll do a big big holy thousand thousand dollar one that includes an oak bookshelf. <laughs>
1: Actually, I'm gonna say there's one more thing because it just looks like crazy. There's something called the Boneyard, and there's like a poodle with a zombie face. So let
2: me see that for a second.
1: Dared enter, try to leave the Boneyard.
2: Oh shit! Oh, uh, someone was talking about this on um, uh, Shockwaves. They say it's insane. Uh, I-, I might pick that up and watch it. All right, but <laughs> like, no, it, it's like it's some kind of weird like rock and roll zombie serial killer movie. It's like all over the place. Okay. So, and actually
1: you, if James was here, he would have mentioned Seven Guardians of the Tomb, which has uh Lee Lee Bing Gong? Bing Bing. I can't read it, it's too small. Kelsey so Grammer and Kellen Lutz. <laughs> I'm not I'm I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it, it looks like one of those um what is it? Uh, the people that make the knockoffs of like other movies.
2: Oh yeah, like a oh like a, like an adventure film like in the vein of Indiana Jones and whatnot.
1: But the company they have like a name. Oh, um, Asylum. Asylum. Yeah, yeah, it asylum. looks like an asylum movie. Yeah. So James would probably have better commentary on that. But it's got right. Kelsey Grammer in it, man. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer's like front and center on that.
2: He's just like oh Ni- third, oh, oh Nigel, we've got to go in this tomb.
1: <laughs> and that's Blu-rays and DVDs for this week.
2: Sweetness. Uh,
1: which brings us to what we've been watching.
2: So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff
0: we've been watching.
2: Zach, what did you watch this week? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, I went to the film club for the first time and hey. saw Borg versus McEnroe. McEnroe? Sorry, didn't say it right. So yeah, did
1: McEnroe get assimilated?
2: Uh, no, nope, he wins at the end because <laughs> it's history. So I'm not going to avoid spoiling history for you guys. That's you should read books, character. damn it. Um, No, Um, so if you don't know, it's a story about um, Bjorn Borg um, fighting – um, McEnroe, um, the American tennis player in the uh in the Wimbledon championship. Um, and it's it's interesting, like because Battle of the Sexes came out last year, and immediately after it was over, Steve and I were talking about how it compared to Battle uh, Battle of the Sexes in terms of tennis films that came out that year. And Borg versus McEnroe is definitely like the superior one in terms of just style and technique and the way it's the way it's executed, the acting that's going on. Um, it's a very, like, it's its a lot more of a challenging film than I thought it would be. Uh, the guy who plays Bjorn Borg is really good. Um, uh, the key thing everyone would probably want to know is Shia LaBeouf. He's fantastic in it. Like, he was, this is a role he was born to play, as Steve said, and I agree with that. Like, it's just, just straight up a man who cannot contain his anger on the court in tennis. And there's, they showed footage prior of McEnroe, um, of the actual McEnroe and he and him flipping out on um tennis officials and stuff like that, and it's just like wow, this is perfect for him. I cannot believe he didn't do something of this nature earlier. Um, uh, for his acting career, um, it's very well shot. I mean, and it's a co-production, like it's a Swedish, it's a Swedish American language film, but it's made primarily for a Swedish company, so it's it's not technically an American release, so I don't know if it qualifies for anything cool and whatnot, I guess in those regards, but I liked it. Um, I thought it was really good. Um, might even be one of my favorite films of the year thus far since it technically was released this year, um, in the U S. Um, so yeah, I would definitely go ahead and, uh, check that out. Um, I watched the Andre, the giant documentary on HBO. Um, the, uh, uh, it's about an hour and 27 minutes. It's, it's, it it does a pretty good job of staying on track but in the middle of the film they have to do this big expo- expo- exposition dump to explain how wrestling went from uh how it was when Andre the Giant got started to how it evolves into WWE and there's a big chunk of there's a big chunk of time of like 15 to 20 minutes where or more like 15 where Andre the Giant isn't talked about it's like there's a lot of talk with Hollywood Hogan and um uh Vince McMahon discussing how the sport like came about from the earlier beginnings of his father. So uh but the story they tell about Andre is amazing and how it ties to Hollywood Hogan is pretty fucking incredible and I knew nothing about it. Um fans of WWE probably know all about this and they already expect to cry, but <clears throat> I didn't expect to cry in the wrestling documentary that I saw this week. So um it's pretty good. Um, it's on HBO, so if you um have that, you can watch it on Go, and it's a pretty quick watch. Um, uh, yeah, he I didn't realize he was a father, so yeah, there you go, stuff like that. Um, rewatched Primal Fear, uh, the Richard Gere, uh, Ed Norton movie, um, which I forgot the twist in that movie, so when uh, Ed Norton flips out midway, I was I I was. A little taken aback. <laughs> I was just like, I've never seen it, so I don't know. Oh god, like it, there's a flip that he does and I won't tell you what the flip is, Good. but it's like when you see it, it's like you won't see it coming. But um it's 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 pretty fucking fantastic. Um it's but it's at the same time, outside of Norton's performance and Gears performance to an extent, it's a pretty typical nineties legal drama. Um there's nothing to distinguish it outside of those two performances. Um so um notable in the regard that it gave us Ed Norton the same year that he also like did people versus Larry Flint and stuff like that. So I guess go ahead and give them props for that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Oh no. Um, I also saw with you the Maltese Falcon, um, at the Esquire midnight, um, which uh, I guess we can say segue, segue into both. Um, I nodded off at points, but I'd seen this movie so many times, but to watch it on a big screen was actually pretty fun. Um, I just wish that they had done it as an earlier screening and not a midnight, because I think it's kind of hard to... I, 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 I think it's very hard to watch a film of that caliber at midnight. Yeah, um, uh,
1: I'd never seen it before, and nothing that I saw like compelled me to like engage with the movie, mm-hmm. So, and I did nod off a couple places myself, so I'll I'll watch it again eventually. Yeah, but you're. Uh, I mean, I I think I, obviously other people were there and they were able to watch it. So it being a midnight, I think it's. I think if you've seen it before, um, it helps. Yeah, but if you haven't, yeah, it's. I find it hard to. It's kind of hard to get into
2: it. Yeah. No, but I. I mean, I would encourage you to watch it when you're not close to wanting to go to bed because <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a good film. Like it's it's. It's not like obviously it's not exi- excitement with bang, crash boom bang and whatnot, but yeah, you know you you get some you get some genuine solid performances out of it. Like I mean, Bogart alone is worth the worth the price of admission.
1: Yeah, like all the performances were convincing, and they like a style of that era between stage and film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think I actually like, if I had to, you know, not that I'm a director and know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> um, I felt the direction was very like all over the place. Mm. Uh, it it jumped around a lot. And I often wondered, like, what is the point of what we're doing right now? Right. So which isn't. The, so I guess the way that story is told, I guess, isn't my favorite okay. part of it. It so.
2: is the it is a first time filmmaker doing it. Oh, there um, you go. like he was a longtime screenwriter, but he hadn't directed a film before. So.
1: Yeah. And it could be the editing, too. So, yeah. So
2: he went on to do *Treasure of Sierra Madre and um, other stuff. So his name's John Houston. Uh, I don't know. He, he's going places. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, yeah, that's all I watched this week. Uh
1: Yeah, so I watched the Maltese Falcon, and then at Starfest, I watched Star Trek 6 and 8 again, because those are my two favorites. Of the, Which one is 8 again? Uh, First Contact. First Contact, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, And then I also, I forgot to, when I were talking about what we were doing earlier, Um, my goal was to see LeVar Burton, because he's the big get for this year right. at Starfest, and I totally forgot to talk about it earlier. But um, because the Marvel quiz ended basically <laughs> right as he was taking the stage... Mm -hmm. we were racing back to drop you off and get to the thing on time. And I didn't make it, but I saw him like three times walking just through the halls of the hotel. No shit. (laughs) And each time, you know, I wanted to be like, Hey, Mr. Burton, it's a pleasure to see you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to Denver. (laughs) And instead I was like, you can't hear it at home, but I'm just (laughs) like nodding. Like, Hey, what's up? (laughs) Um, yeah, so the first time was in my Casey Jones, Jones outfit, so I was wearing the mask. So there was nothing for him to recognize there. But the second day, I was wearing the Starfleet uniform and, yeah, embarrassed myself again. So
2: You're just, you reminds me of Troy in Community when he's trying to meet LeVar Burton. And he can't get, and he finally meets him, he can't get the words out. And LeVar Burton leaves him alone, and then you cut to... Troy huddled up in his in a ball going, take a look, it's in a book, <laughs> eating rainbow. Uh, then I also saw Mary
1: Chifo. Uh, she's from Star Trek Discovery. She plays Laurel, the Klingon. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had some interesting th- things to say about the future of that show. Um, Ooh, I man. mean, it's, it's going, but like she's involved, so her character is not going to disappear for se- uh, season two. Oh, nice. Um, and then she talked about like a lot of the difficult, like having to do the sex scene in the show. Um and uh, learning Klingon um, to learn her Klingon role, she watched all the Klingon episodes of all the other series, mm-hmm. and now through Deep Space Nine is her favorite, um, and Dax is actually her favorite character uh, so far from the ser- those all those series, and so she's gonna go back and watch non-Klingon episodes of all the shows from Star Trek. So nice, uh, but she's more of a theater actress mm-hmm. and um, classically trained, and yeah, less about getting into the role, and then also Roger Cross was there um he is from shows like dark matter and something else i think stargate he's got an extensive resume but i know him mostly from 24 he played curtis uh one of jack's ctu uh reliable guys except for season six when he flips out and tries to kill the guy they're trying to protect and jack shoots him in the neck and kills him not sure jack had to kill him (laughs) to defuse that situation um which would have been a great question to ask him but i didn't do that Instead, I asked him if there were any fun stories from uh, his time on 24. And he talked about this time they got uh, uh, the director, John Cassar like fake arrested. Um, So fun hijinks (laughs) like that on 24. Nice. Um, And then Malcolm Barrett. um, I'm not familiar with his his work, but he was there. And each time I walked around as Casey Jones, Uh, I saw him twice. And he was like, Casey Jones. And we fist bumped. Uh, So I need to look into his work. (laughs) <laughs> but apparently he's a big Casey Jones fan. I love
2: that people freak like, like fanned out for you. Like, not you, but like a character that you cosplay. I know. Had, you know? I mean, like, I'm
1: pretty sure I was the only Ninja Turtles cosplayer at StarFest. Yeah. Which isn't like... You know, it probably sounds like, hey, Star Trek convention, and Brad is being a rebel and not doing anything Star Trek. But StarFest has evolved from Star Trek to be more like a Doctor Who, anime, um, what else is popular right now? Everything but Star Trek? Even Star Wars. Like, there was this not as much star wars either, considering like star wars is actually getting movies made right now. Um, well,
2: yeah, but, yeah but the internet hates them don't you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I don't I mean, know. Oh yeah, wait. Finishers. Sorry. So anyway, um NFS uh, Starfest. Um uh the other things I watched uh, were I rewatched Double Dragon uh which is a movie actually co-written by Paul Dini. Oh, nice. Um and uh the there's a uh what's her name? Alyssa Milano's uh, police officer dad in the movie. Mm-hmm. He is the guy, old man screaming in a quiet place. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so that was an interesting uh, uh, connection. And then um, uh, Robert Patrick is the villain, Kogishuko. Right. And uh, he has two henchmen. Um, and I, I don't know why I didn't notice this before, but because I had the subtitles on, I was able to read it. So I must have been like tuning out what he was saying. It like every time I ever watched it. But th- those two characters, his henchmen, are called Huey and Lewis So, and he asked them when they show up at his stronghold like what's the news (laughs) so as a Huey Lewis fan (laughs) I was like man I can't can't believe I didn't catch that before Uh, I also rewatched Suburban Commando with Hulk Hogan Um, oh really
2: speaking of of the Hulkster
1: yeah Um, and that's a fun dumb movie Mm -hmm. Um, I rewatched it to wonder because I always thought it would be a good how did this get made film, and uh, I think they did uh, No Holds Barred and Mr. Nanny. I think that's the only uh, Hulk movie left, right? I, I think so, yeah. I think there might be one more, but um, so I was I was rewatching to see, like, what you know, is it is silly en- en- enough to be a movie for that show, and actually watching it, it's, like, almost too competent. Like, it's, it's dumb and silly, but it's, it, like, I didn't find a lot of stuff like, oh, that's, you know, there's inconsistencies in, like, the that's, shots. That's, or, like, out there and bizarre. Or, like, it, yeah, the The plot isn't... I mean, the plot's ridiculous, but it's not, like, so... Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, everything seems like it explains it's, it's, itself it's, pretty it's, well. It's,
2: it's there, is what you're telling me. It's yeah, like it's, just it's there. there.
1: Christopher Lloyd's in it. He's, fu- like, it's fun, and uh, it's it's all about... The Hulk is Shep Ramsey. He uh, is an intergalactic, like, hero. Um, but after he kind of bungles a mission... Uh, his boss says like hey you know you need to take a break you're stressed out the Hulk is like or ship Ramsey's like I don't want to take a break I'm fine and then he smashes his console and his ship has to detour to earth and he has to wait for six weeks for the batteries to recharge or whatever and so while he's stuck he hates earthlings he's stuck in California um, he finds an apartment for rent with what money he expects to pay. I don't know. I guess he must have like a cachet of money. So you say this isn't weird. Of money, Huh?
2: You say this isn't weird.
1: No, it's silly and ridiculous, but it's like it's not so ridiculous that. Okay. Like there's easy jokes, you know, to make of it. I, th-
2: I think the first. Maybe there are and I'm just not creative. Maybe you just told me uh, Jason Manzukis' entire plan for the show is to point out that aliens should find out a form of commerce at some point.
1: Yeah. Um but
2: no I I get you no I mean
1: so yeah he he uh he fi- the apartment is with Christopher Lloyd and his family and you know uh Christopher Lloyd is an architect who doesn't have a lot of guts so he's constantly being talked down to by his boss uh who's Larry Miller so he's a fast talking he's trying to impress <laughs> clients and uh he's constantly taking advantage of Christopher Lloyd and his wife is like, you know, uh-huh. you got to ask for a raise, you know, we need money. I love Larry if you Miller. don't, I'm going <laughs> to rent this re- Your, your, your storage shed out right. he, in his, in his storage shed, he builds things and, uh, unwinds. And so, yeah, so apartment for rent, Shep Ramsey takes the newly renovated shed and, you know, um, attracts bounty hunters to the family, which sets up a lot of conflict. And yeah, Nice. Uh, so I think it's fun and uh, uh, the one like little trivia uh, bit is uh, occasionally while Shep Ramsay's waiting for you know he's uh, inserting himself into earth culture for the time being he runs into a mime several times and doesn't understand miming so he always thinks the guy's in trouble so if he's pulling a rope uh, he tries to help him pull the rope if he's trying to like climb a ladder he thinks the guy wants to get up to the second floor so he throws the guy up to the second floor uh, <laughs> at one point he's trapped in a box Uh, So uh, Shep Ramsey thinks it's a force field And punches through the force field And into the guy's face Um, uh, Little scenarios like that But uh, the the trivia tidbit is There's one gag where It happens twice There's this little girl crying about her cat being stuck in a tree Mm -hmm. And Shep Ramsey pulls the limb down With the cat on it Because he's so strong Mm -hmm. He's got superhuman strength And it's not actually her cat. So she's like, ugh, that's not my cat and walks away. And then he releases it and the cat flings through the air. Mm -hmm. And then later on, she does it again. It's like, oh, my cat's in a tree. And he pulls it down and she's like, no, that's not my cat either. And then she grabs onto the limb and he lets it go and she flies away. (laughs) And the cat jumps off. (laughs) And that little girl is Elizabeth Moths. Really? Mad Men. (laughs) So, and she's like five. So it's like, that's I think this movie is like 91, so.
2: That's insane.
1: No, I, we're the same age, so she must have been like 9 or 10. Yeah. I was born anyway. in 91, so. And that's all I've been watching
2: this week. Cool. I had two more things real quick. Real real quick. Um so I picked up Space Coast Coast to Coast uh volume 1 on DVD at work because it was just there. Um and I hadn't seen this fucking show in I uh, 15 16 years and it's way weirder than I remembered it, man. Like it's so strange. And Further proof that Jack Benny is uh, a part of the po- of the pop culture zeitgeist, guys. There's a scene where Zorak and Moltar get into an elevator with Jack Benny. So, and I will screenshot it for everyone. So, if y'all think I'm crazy about this dead comedian, there's proof that he was very big and very popular even after his death. Um. So yeah, like yeah, it was just interesting. And then there's an episode where they're talking with three different cast members of Gilligan's Island. And the whole premise is that Zorak was a cameo actor on the Hamlet episode of Killikin's Island. Um so it was just it was just bizarre. Um I just I couldn't believe that like that was like a thing. Um so but anyway.
1: Yeah, we got ten minutes. So. Yeah, that's all that's all it. So anyway. Okay, cool. Uh, So that brings us to the movie of the week, which is I Love Dogs. Zach, should people see I Love Dogs?
2: Yeah, um, I think this is uh, definitely another Wes Anderson home run. Um, I think in many ways I like it more than his previous animated outing, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, There's a lot going on in this film and uh, probably too much going on for the short review we're going to give it. But, uh, yeah, go check it out. It's playing everywhere. It's been playing for a couple weeks, so. I agree uh it's a lot of fun um it
1: has layers uh about um you know marginalizing people in society mm. and alienation and uh the animation's fantastic um it's you know he he's a bit hamstrung with fantastic Mr Fox in that he has to adhere to previous source material um but he did a great job in that anyway this time he has full reign to do everything he wants um it's an original for him uh, a lot of people complain that this could have been a story set in Cleveland or something. Uh, it didn't have to be Japan. So there's like this issue of cultural appropriation going on, but I'd argue that he does a lot of things in the movie to diffuse that. Um, I mean, it's set in the future. Um, it's not actually Japan. It's Megasaki. Um, there's cultural elements borrowed, but I think if it was set in some American city, it would be visually less interesting. So I think that, um, while it might not be you know honest and uh like factual about japanese culture i think that the fact that it like shines a spotlight on the beautiful elements of that culture Mm -hmm. is something to enjoy
2: not just culture but cinema japanese cinema yeah in general and we'll talk about it after the um break
1: yeah
0: so here's the trailer The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs.
2: I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage.
0: Exactly same the here. The words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're King. You're
2: Duke. You're Boss.
0: I'm Chief. We're a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs.
2: Atari Kobayashi, you heroically hijacked a Junior turboprop XJ 750. Made it, made it. And flew it to the island because of your dog. <laughs>
0: I've got a crush on you. Spots, Spots!
2: We get the idea. You're looking for your lost dog, Spots. Does anybody
0: know him? No, no. no, no, I have lost all of my pride. Spots, if he's alive, may very well be living even at this moment as a captive prisoner.
2: Somebody is up to something. Will you help him? the little pilot
0: Why should I?
1: Because he's a 12-year-old boy. Dogs love those.
0: We'll find him. Wherever he is, if he's alive, we'll find your dog. Ah! It's going to be a fight.
1: I wish somebody spoke his language.
2: Wow. To the north, a long rickety causeway over a noxious sludge marsh leading to a radioactive landfill polluted by toxic chemical garbage. That's our destination. Great. Get ready to jump. One of the things that um, really kind of blew me away in the film, because uh, he had talked about this in an interview about, like, really approaching, like, you'd think with animation and Japanese culture, you'd want to try to go toward Miyazaki or something like that. And he said that the emotional tone was something they tried to take from Miyazaki, but the visual aesthetic, it's a fucking Kurosawa movie in in so many ways. Like, I mean, and not just Kurosawa, but there are a lot of elements. Like, when, like the way they build up an element with um within the beginning of the film is that the dogs are all on Trash Island. Um, because they have dog flu, uh, a couple other diseases and whatnot. And so they're isolated snout on this. Snout fever. Snout fever yeah. and, like, tons. Of, and overbreeding. Over, overbreeding, yeah. yeah. So the so they're all put on Trash Island, and they're fighting for scraps. And there's this great moment at the beginning where it's, like, a group of dogs that look similar going toward a pile of trash that just came off the um the Nagasaki Island. um, And then they're interrupted by our main group, which is, uh duke chief boss uh rex and uh king um and uh they're going the way they're approaching each other step by step within the animation is very similar to the way kurosawa would frame certain shots and just kind of the timing of it and, and it, obviously that timing could be compared to anything Wes anderson's done but just the way it's handled it, it it's able it's able to evoke both settings um, and that's what I really appreciate about it. That combined with Andrew, Alexander just plays music in this film, like this, might be my favorite soundtrack of the year thus far. Like, it is I fucking love the music in this movie. Like yeah, I absolutely. Like more so than I've liked in any other Wes Anderson movie. Um, just because it's got it's got a real vibrant energy to it that I totally dig. Um, but yeah, and then just the art direction for this film is incredible. Let's for forego just the puppeteering and the animation and whatnot. Just the way that they get the city to work. The way they do fights, um, which is very similar to the way they did in Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is we can't show you every single thing they're doing, so we're just going to do it in a cloud of uh, – Very cloud cartoon-like. Of, yeah. Cloud of smoke. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and um, the way they kind of handle, like, any time that they uh, – like there's a television screen that's on and whatnot, it's done in traditional t- uh, two-dimensional animation. Um, so it, so it, it never has to – be more technically uh, uh, advanced than it has to be. Like it, it'll, it it knows how to cut a corner very cleverly so that you can get stuff done because it's it's one frame at a time, guys, and um, it's brilliant. And the voice uh, the voice acting in this film is great.
1: Yeah, a lot I mean, of fun, dry humor.
2: Yeah, I I, I love Norton in the film. Like I, I, and I think that I like that he's working with Wes Anderson because like I. I get to see a part of Norton that I don't, that, that I wasn't getting prior to Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> um, I, or you could argue Birdman too, but I think he knows how to get the funny side of Norton out there um, in a way that only Danny DeVito could <laughs> 12 years prior. So, um, but yeah. And then the uh, the, the whole idea of cultural appropriation, like, again, like, as you said, like it's, I think it's it's hard to make that argument when at the end of the day, like they're not saying anything disparaging about the culture directly at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, some people are taking it as like, oh, they reduce it down to like sumo wrestlers and sushi and like,
2: no, those are just interstitials. That's literally just interstitials to to pad out the areas like they're transitional. They're transitional. Yeah. They have nothing to do with the main plot. But also, was this a problem
1: when he did Darjeeling Limited? Like it's a tourism ad for India. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which
2: is also a tribute to Indian cinema, the Japu trilogy, like anything within that nature, you know. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't see that argument. Like, I, I, I understand why you want to make it. I just don't understand why you want to follow through with it.
1: Yeah, I think like you, you, you're making a work of fiction, and you pick a setting, and he chose one that he felt was like visually interesting, and you worked.
2: It's a, it's a, it's ultimately a satire on uh, on its in its own merit on environment uh, on and like the way we handle the environment, the way people are marginalized in society. I mean, honestly, like you can you can take this as far back as 1942 when Ernest Lubitsch was making films about Ernst Lubitsch was making films about the Nazis invading Poland and whatnot. Like, did the did the Polish characters speak Polish? No, they spoke English because this film was made in America. Like, and and thank God Wes Anderson goes a step above. By hiring Japanese actors to play the Japanese characters. It could have been a lot easier to not do that. Yeah. And do some kind of insulting voice.
1: Yeah. They're not even like... There's like a disclaimer at the beginning that says the uh, all the dogs are dog barks that have been <laughs> translated into English. Which I love. Uh, but yeah, all the Japanese, actual human Japanese characters... Speak um, Japanese. Speak actual Japanese. And it's subtitled. It's yeah.
2: subtitled where appropriate. And then anything else is done through the translator character, which is Francis McDormand.
1: Yeah. So yeah, there's English characters that translate some things, but mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's solid. And like, I mean, frankly, like, I don't know what's coming out this year from like Pixar or anything like that, but
1: Incredibles two.
2: Okay, I think Gal, <laughs> I think Isle of Dogs could finally get Wes Anderson his Oscar if the if the cards are pl- uh, if the cards are right. Yeah, just throwing it out there. you have already snubbed him so many fucking times. <laughs> he should have gotten it for Grand Budapest in the screenplay alone. Yeah. I love Grand Budapest.
1: He's young. He's got a lot of movies left in him. Is he, <laughs> Is he Brad? Is he? He's probably like ten years old in this. Um, but yeah,
2: no. I mean, it and it and it moves by in a breeze. It's a pretty quick. Film. Oh yeah, we've yeah. seen it. I've seen it four times now, and I've seen it twice. Even though <laughs> Saturday I fell asleep halfway through because <laughs> I was tired, but I knew everything that was going on from the first screening. Um, but yeah, and then uh, if you want more Jeff Goldblum again, like playing a character that's just indelibly hilarious, like. I think it's a, it's it's just fun to watch him do anything or hear him do anything for that matter in this film. Um and also like this just there's some great song selection in here outside of the score and whatnot like some really interesting choices um that he makes throughout the film that I I thought was pretty interesting. Um and like anything else like you know this this is this is something I wasn't expecting from him which is ultimately like the biggest get of all is that like he could have done anything else, like he could have done that. Uh, he could have done that horror movie he was talking about, like like as far back as Grand Budapest Press. But he does this really charming. Am I working on it now? film? I hope he is. Yeah. I I really want a Wes Anderson movie to be Jason Schwartzman in Sheets going, "Boo! I scared you." This is how I scare people.
1: <laughs> so anyway, yeah, great yeah. film. So next week we'll be seeing Avengers: Infinity War.
2: But the team's so broken up, Brad, how are we going to get them together?
1: It's almost like uh, a difficult situation will bring them back together. I know, I know. And they can set aside their differences and form an alliance.
2: Do you think Captain America and Iron Man will chop wood and have a dialogue about ideological differences? Nope,
1: because they already did it. Okay.
2: I wanted to see it again, though. Civil War
1: 2. Put, put the DVD in your DVD player. T- to watch Tony Stark
2: somehow conveniently forgets that his mom was killed, and then he has to discover it all over again at the very end of Civil War 2.
1: So until next time.
2: <laughs> Bye.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics